Starring Charlize Theron, Nicole Kidman, and Margot Robbie, comes Bombshell. Based on the real scandal, the film follows the women at Fox News who break their silence and take down Fox News head Roger Ailes and the toxic atmosphere he presided over the network. Bombshell hits theaters December 20th. This is a CBC Podcast. Good afternoon. I'm Rita Celli. This is Ontario Today. Let's talk about the students. A lot of them not in class today, of course, because of the strike. My message to OSSTF is to cancel the strike that is needlessly hurting students in the class at this problem. The standoff with teachers remains tense. Four of the biggest education unions negotiating with the province, no settlements. There are work-to-rule campaigns, two one-day strikes, and a lot of uncertainty ahead. The government has been clear. It's not about kids in the classroom. If it was, the Premier wouldn't be kicking them out of the classroom and forcing them into the online learning courses that will not work for many of them. E-learning is here. Uh, I believe it's here to stay. There's some real positives here to, to opening discussion. In this hour, the debate around learning online. It is one of the key flashpoints in the high school negotiations. The Ford government originally said students would be forced to do four online courses. There was a big outcry. Now the province is saying students will only have to do two. Two mandatory e-learning courses for every student before they can graduate from high school. It's not a choice, it is a must. We're asking you, are online courses a big deal? 1-888-817-8995. My older son was very uh, motivated. He was a self-starter and he was able to move through his classes more quickly. And so I think for some students, the e-learning is a huge benefit. Uh, With my younger son, um, he uh, has a learning disability. He's on an IEP. Uh, He took a class in the summer and he got through it, but only because I was there on a daily basis making sure he got set up, helped him interpret some of the some of the instructions. I've been teaching e-learning in the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board for 15 years. Obviously, I think it's a great platform for for most kids to learn from and something to which all kids should be exposed in part. Having said that, I would be much more comfortable with one. Are online courses a big deal? To be clear, the province has rolled back its original idea of four, is now saying that high school students will have to take two online courses in order to graduate. Our guest is a professor of education technology. She studies digital literacy in teenagers. She's actually designed online courses. She is someone who sees potential, but is also full of questions about how an Ontario model will work. She has specific concerns. One of the obvious parts of this debate is which type of student will benefit and who will not when it comes to e-learning. It would be really insightful to hear from those of you who are the instructors. You have real experience under your belt when it comes to teaching online. How big are your classes? What do you find challenging? Are the courses designed with multiple choice tests or do you end up marking three times as many assignments from students? When you hear that the Ontario government wants to take e-learning and make it mandatory, what is your reaction? In this hour, we are asking, are online courses a big deal? 1-888-817-8995.
This year, there are zero mandatory e-learning courses. The minister wants there to be two mandatory e-learning courses. There's no evidence to say that those are good for students. And in fact, the minister points to Alabama, a state that ranks 49th out of 50 when it comes to U.S. education quality, as a model for his program. Well, and as we were uh, coming in, you might have heard some of the news breaking. Andrew Scheer, the federal conservative leader, has resigned. He just finished speaking in the House of Commons a few moments ago. He's receiving uh, pats on the back and hugging, shaking hands with many. Uh, it looks like mostly conservatives still queuing up uh, to shake his hand. Uh, he gave, well, I'll let you listen a little bit to, to what he said. And we're hoping, we're working with our parliamentary bureau in Ottawa that we will bring someone in, maybe at about a quarter to one. Uh, give them a chance to catch their breaths and us as well. We know there's a lot of interest in our, our subject of the day, which is e-learning because I see the phone lines busy, but we'd like to address this. It's a major development. Uh, that uh, highly critical report from former Cabinet Minister John Baird was tabled yesterday. Um, let's hit, take a listen before we move into our discussion on e-learning, but just be on standby that we'd like to save some time to get you with some of your comments later on in the program. Here is Andrew Shear just about oh, 10 minutes ago speaking in the House of Commons. I felt it was appropriate to speak to my friends and colleagues in the House of Commons about one of the most difficult decisions I have ever made. I just informed my colleagues in the Conservative Caucus that I will be resigning as the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. And I have asked the Conservative Party National Council, I, I will be asking the Conservative Party National Council to immediately begin the process of organizing a leadership election. As our party embarks on this exciting opportunity, electing a new Conservative leader and Canada's next Prime Minister. I intend to stay on as leader of the party and the official opposition. Serving as leader of the party that I love so much has been the opportunity and challenge of a lifetime. And this was not a decision I came to lightly. This was a decision I came to after many long, hard conversations with friends and family over the past two months since the election campaign. This has been an incredible challenge for our family to keep up with the pace that is required to lead a caucus and a party into a general election. My wife, Jill, has been absolutely heroic of having kids, but because we have kids and are dedicated to building a better world for them with everything we have, and I respect that deeply of him and thank him for that focus on a better future for his kids. Je veux aussi souligner que... That is uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau live now in the House of Commons saying some uh, words about Andrew Scheer en français, as you heard as well. Uh, there was a standing ovation from the Liberals on that side of the House, um, noting too uh, Andrew Scheer's contributions when he was Speaker of the House of Commons. We have uh, a collection of MPs uh, who are focused on representing their constituents, on serving their constituents, uh, that it is always a challenge and an incredibly rewarding experience uh, 
uh, to uh, work with as leader. Uh, and I know that uh, uh, for all the challenges, it is an extraordinary privilege uh, that uh, is enriching and wonderful. And I know uh, that the member opposite has uh, shown tremendous strength and compassion as he has done that uh, through uh, tragedies, difficulties, uh, victories, and uh, more challenging moments. Uh, and I uh, very much wish him all the very, very best in his uh, in his. Uh, next and exciting steps, whatever they be, we there here in the House or beyond. That is uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau live in the House of Commons. As I mentioned, uh, the federal leader uh, of the Conservative Party, Andrew Scheer, has announced his resignation. He will. He says he'll stay on until a replacement is chosen. We'll try to you know, deal with more of that later in the program. As I signaled, because it's been a big few weeks, another uh, one-day walkout in Ontario. We want to talk about um, e learning and how big a deal it is or is not. Our guest is Professor Michelle Shira Hagerman, a professor of educational technology in the Faculty of Education at the University of Ottawa. She's developed online courses at both the high school and university level, won awards for it too. Congratulations. Welcome to our program. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, and thank you for skating along with us on the breaking news. Uh, the beauty of technology, we could mm-hmm. d- demonstrate what's going on. Um, just briefly, like what kind of courses have you developed? Uh, so I've developed, well, back in 2003, I actually developed uh, an online learning course for French as a second language, um, high school course. Since then, though, I've developed several courses at the university level specifically for uh, teachers. So in the Faculty of Education, I teach teachers, I teach um, teacher candidates, people who are becoming teachers, and I also teach graduate students. So I've developed a range of courses on a range of topics for them. Okay, so the one that you did for high school was mm-hmm. French as a second language. That's right. Just, uh, I mean, there's some practical things that mm-hmm. we don't, I don't know, they're not all made the same. Is it the idea, because I remember the cable station that used to have the teacher in front of the board. Of course, yeah. But is this what we're talking about? Are they avatars? Like, what is an e-learning course for a high school audience in 2019? What does that look like? So, it, it looks like a lot of different things, I think. I think that's an important thing for us to remember. But for the most part, there are uh, modules that have been designed for the students that students follow. Um, and those modules include content that they need to engage with, learn. Um, and there can be a range of different modalities that are integrated. So there could be podcasts that students listen to, there could be videos that they're watching. Um, and then, of course, there's evaluation components as well. Is that done by like real humans? Um, I think it depends. Okay. Well, this is a wide scope. <laughs> it because is. what you described did not yeah. necessarily have yeah. instructors attached to it. Oh, yeah. Well, there's definitely instructors. So in Ontario, every online course that high school students um, take has an instructor. Um, and also the important piece to remember too is there's um, a local mentor, a person who's actually in the local school there to support the kids um, as they're learning. So there are definitely teachers involved. Okay. And how do you read the idea of mandatory? So we know that mm. forms exist. This is your field. When you hear a provincial government say, we will make it mandatory. Now it's from four to two, but there is that mm-hmm. mandatory yeah. element. What do, what, do you, what do you think about? Yeah. So for me, I wonder why, right? Why mandatory? Because e-learning is already happening in Ontario. In, in Canada, actually, um, we have the highest enrollments in like online and blended courses um, of any other jurisdiction sort of in the country. So e-learning is already happening in Ontario. So I wonder why we're making it 
mandatory. So like, what's your informed guess? Yeah, then? yeah. So I think that my informed guess, of course, is it's a cost savings measure. Um, except that I wonder if that's actually kind of a fallacy because in terms of, um, you know, what really works for kids, online learning without, say, teachers involved is not going to support their learning. The evidence that I know certainly suggests a requirement for more teachers, not fewer. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And yet your yeah. digital technology is your field. It's what you do. Absolutely. So the idea, okay, fewer teachers, this is where, you know, we'll go to the calls in a second. Yeah. Um, like, you know, you'd have 30 students and you're still instructing online or mm-hmm. it, it could, that feels overwhelming. It, Maybe it feels like the kinds of tests, are they simple? Are they complex? Or? Well, so this is actually one of the real tensions in, on, in the design of online learning. So, um, we know that when kids have opportunities to engage deeply with complex ideas, the assessments need to be able to capture, right, all of that complex thinking. But online, oftentimes, we're limited by the technologies themselves and what can effectively be assessed. So, yeah, a lot of times a teacher might design a really complex and wonderful learning activity that can be delivered online, and yet what's available to them through the system is maybe a multiple choice test or, you know, something that really doesn't necessarily support the learning. It's interesting. So, I mean, you do see the potential. I do see the potential. Yeah, of course. But I think what's really important is the potential really sits at the interaction of um, the technology, the student and the teacher, right? So the teacher is a critical component, in part because we know that kids need to develop relationships with teachers and with one another. And that's really fundamental to student learning. So in the absence of opportunities to develop deep relationships with teachers, we know that learning suffers. Yeah, like do they have group discussions online? Like, yeah. Like, do they speak or are they tapping? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the ways that the, that online learning is kind of marketed, right, is because it, it kind of it offers up this anytime, anywhere kind of learning modality, right? So, and oftentimes it's asynchronous. Um, so that really means that when you want to design conversations, I mean, if it's marketed as something that you can do anytime, anywhere, but then you're still required to sort of be present synchronously with your peers at a certain amount of time, then I kind of wonder, well, there's a, um, you know, there's a tension there, right? Right, like it's mm-hmm. a contradiction. Is kind of, it is. yeah, it is. Well, I'm going to blame. I, I, I still think, sorry, everyone out there, sorry to you, but that there's still a special place in hell for PowerPoint, person who <laughs> an end webinars. I'm resentful. I do not take offense to that no, at I'm all. still resentful. I have friends in the field, but I just, even at work, like I do not want to see the avatar. I want to be no, in a room that's right. and hammer it out if we're talking about ethics. No, wanna... Of course. Anyway, so course. I don't know if that's too old school. So well, No, it's not at all. Not at all. And I would say actually that, that, that our, our students crave and need to have those kinds of interactions in their high school classroom. So we know that um, Kids need to have multiple opportunities to put their ideas out there and to come to understand that their ideas are part of a broad scope, right, of ideas. And they need to interact with their ideas and have their peers respond to their ideas, have teachers challenge them. That is actually really difficult to accomplish effectively in online learning environments. Okay, so certain courses may fit this better than others. Mm-hmm. Let's go to our phones. Chris and Milton, are online courses a big deal? Um, well, thanks for having me on. And I... Don't know off the bat if I share your same hatred for PowerPoint. Because um, <laughs> you use, yeah, but you think of my field. I'm a broadcaster with no pictures, yeah. so I take this very, very seriously. <laughs> then that's fair. 
Um, I've, I, have, I have a spouse who, who works in, um, in the education uh, system in Ontario in Halton, and she is um, responsible for administering uh, several online courses. And as a spouse, I, I see both positives and negatives um, that are associated with that. Um, the positives are if, for instance, if you know it's during the summer and someone wants to jump ahead or try to get more credits and they're you know motivated to to drive through the content and and get things done, then it's a great opportunity that I think should be available for some students. I've also seen the other side of it where students, for whatever reason, may lack the motivation to um, really you know crack the surface of the courses and get behind the content. And for whatever reason, sometimes it's mostly, you know, not seeing any posts to whatever uh, message message boards that they should be posting to, or not really a lot of questions, not a lot of engagement. And I think that that is sort of the main issue with um, online courses for people of that age group in secondary education. Chris, can I, what courses are these? Like, what are the subjects? They're English and uh, social science courses. So in social sciences, can you give us examples of things you're learning? Yeah, like um, human growth and development, uh, psychology, just like basic intro social science courses. And I mean, is do you does your wife have an impression of the kind of student that is taking the course? I mean, are they trying to get ahead or are they trying to well, if, get if away? It's an English course, well, you know, if it's an English course, it may be, especially if she's, you know, if she's she's done it over the summer um, for kids who either need to retake or some kids who want to get ahead. And it seems like there's really no happy medium. It's either like they're a very good online student or it's like pulling teeth, trying to get them to submit work, trying to contact the parents to say, you know, they haven't logged in in a week to finish this whatever assignment. So it's it's very it's very split on what students are able to be successful. Okay, let's and, hear, let's hear from uh, we've got a nodding professor listening to. What do you? What did you want to pick up in Chris's yeah, story? Yeah, yeah, this is um, absolutely consistent with what um, the research suggests. I mean, online learning seems to support certain kinds of students with certain types of motivations. Like to, high motivated. Like hi, like highly motivated students. And typically, I mean, what's really interesting is these these tend to be the kids who also do well right, in, a regular in, in the regular classroom, right? These are kids who are organized and they're kids who just have sort of some intrinsic motivation driving them and they're, they're really interested in the topic and they're just really capable students. They read well. They um, communicate effectively. They, I mean, have maybe had lots of um, opportunities already, right, when they come into this course to engage with complex ideas online. Um, and so those are the kids who do tend to do well. Um, but for kids who struggle with organization or for kids who don't feel like schooling is their favorite place to be, online learning can be really challenging for them. Mm-hmm. I can see a lot of mashup too, like checking, I don't know, your Facebook or Twitter, whatever the oh, thing sure. is. Versus, yeah. you know. uh, Sheila, you're next. You're in Toronto. Are online courses a big deal? Um, what's your experience with them? Oh, uh, this is heartbreaking that they want to make it mandatory. Mm-hmm. I have a, a 15-year-old daughter in grade 10 uh, who's dyslexic, and um, I'm a single parent, and we, um, 
she needed to build some kind of a lesser intensive course in her schedule. So we agreed to do French, which is extremely difficult for dyslexics to do online through the summer to build space in her in her schedule for something where she gets a break. Um, she well, I ended up spending over two thousand dollars in private tutoring to get her through, and I had to work really closely with the online administration to explain the situation to get her that credit. Because the kids, any disability whatsoever with online forms of reading and having to be exactly as your prior speaker said, being organized, they get behind really quickly, really fast, and it becomes parents who are already overwhelmed with just trying to get these increasingly anxious kids to school and to participate and to get off of their screens and to say mandatory you have to get back on your screens and not interact and do this oh and by the way if you have any kind of adversity or difficulty with reading or if that's not your modality for learning you still have to do this this is going to be a complete washout i don't think that anything should be mandatory unless there are systematic reviews and there's a body of evidence from observational studies wide-ranging observational studies with a number of different learning kids with disabilities or learning motivations to make this mandatory. I think it's egregious to the provincial government. It's a definitely okay, something Sheila. I want to make time for our guest to pick up on some of your story. What are you hearing in Sheila's example? Oh, I'm I'm hearing a lot of things that resonate for for me in terms of my own concerns about the ways that online learning will, um, you know, further marginalize some students and actually i mean i really haven't seen good evidence yet from the the province to sort of help us understand where the online learning is supposed to happen right so as sheila was saying if we're downloading this onto families this is putting an incredible burden onto them to be able to support their children through an activity that already is difficult um, p- potentially, as Sheila mentioned, thousands of dollars invested in the infrastructure, like the high-speed internet that's required to support this, the computers that are required to enable this. Um, families are assuming those costs. And, I mean, it's not necessarily going to support kids who have specialized learning needs. Let's go to Felicity next. Where are you calling us from? Uh, I'm calling from Mono, Ontario. Where exactly is Mono. Um, it's not very far from Toronto. Um, we're not the boonies. We're basically, Mono starts at Highway 9 and goes up to 89 okay. uh, around Airport Road. Tell us your experience with the online courses. Um, so my son, between grade 9 and grade 10 the summer, he wanted to get ahead. And so he decided to do the civics and career course online. Um, and it was actually, it was fine. He was able to get on the platform and do the work. But a lot of the assignments he was required to you know, write and then add pictures and PDF the file and then upload it. Our upload speed is nothing because we're rural. Mm-hmm. You know, half the time we were, you know, tearing our hair out, ha- figuring out how to break apart a file to get it to upload. Hmm. Um, it was a disaster. And, you know, we could go privately and uh, cellular internet, but that would cost us like six, $700 a month. Ooh la la. Yeah. That's an expensive civics Very course. Very expensive. And, you know, I am by far, I actually have better upload speed than most people. I've got people who have no signal at all. Hmm. Uh, let's go uh, to uh, Professor Shira. Go ahead. Absolutely. I mean, you just have to take a look at the CRTC map of um, high-speed internet access across the province to see that not every community currently has access 
to high-speed internet at an affordable price. And so this is putting a big burden on families. It's a... It's easy to overlook, isn't it? And it I know really there's is. some of you listening um, where, you know, you might have flaky connection. Uh, I also note, though, and I don't think this person's still in the queue, that I think we had a caller from Wawa saying that they took a biology course online because there was no teacher in their community. So, again, you know, there are some positives, and that's what we're asking about this online e-learning. Uh, there are some vagaries, it seems. Our professor academic guest is also looking to the province to actually understand more the roots of this move to want any uh, of these online courses to be mandatory because they are available in different forms right now. You're listening to Ontario Today, and I will tell you that before we wrap up the program, we'll try to open up the phone lines with the head of the Parliamentary Bureau, Rob Russo, who will join us also as we wrap up the hour. Andrew Scheer resigning in the last hour as the leader of the federal Conservatives. You're listening to Ontario Today. I'm Rita Chelly. Let's talk about the students. A lot of them not in class today, of course, because of the strike. My message to OSSTF is to cancel the strike that is needlessly hurting students in the class of this province. Mr. Speaker. The government has been clear. It's not about kids in the classroom. If it was, the Premier wouldn't be kicking them out of the classroom and forcing them into the online learning courses that will not work for many of them. Mandatory online learning is a key sticking point in the labour dispute between high school teachers and the provincial government. Are online courses a big deal? one 817 Our Twitter handle is at CBC Ontario Today. This morning, four teaching unions escalated the dispute. They are filing charter challenges over legislation that would cap all public sector salary increases at 1%. It would affect teachers, but also people who work, let's say, in government-run long-term care facilities or hospitals. Here are part of the scrums with reporters at Queen's Park this morning. Right now in Ottawa, there's a hospital that has 21 people in the hallways, 24 in emergency room beds, places operating at 116% capacity. You can find that across the province. Why should the government be putting more money into education and what you're asking for rather than health care? It's not a matter of one or the other. Let me give you some examples in terms of money and revenue. Uh, At the same time, the government is putting forward the arguments it is or the arguments that you have they're wasting $231 million on cancelling green energy projects. They're cancelling the revenue from uh, carbon tax uh, in this province. Minister, why was it necessary, though? I mean, their main complaint is that you're taking away their charter rights. You're imposing a salary on them. Why wouldn't you just negotiate at the table and say, this is all we're giving you? Well, I would submit that we we are uh, we do think it's consistent with the Charter. We think it doesn't impede the collective bargaining process. And as evidence of that, we've negotiated a number of deals at the bargaining table, uh, not least of which is QP, not least of which is some education workers yesterday. So it is working. But at the same time, you know, uh, collective bargaining uh, is, is, is on a range of issues. What, uh, what I think uh, the unions have done is uh, teachers' unions have made this about compensation. 
So that is the Treasury Board president responding to reporters. Before that, you heard the president of the union representing public elementary school teachers in Ontario. So not specifically about e-learning, but we're just to demonstrate that this, uh, you know, it's not resolved, the tensions, there are many tensions, uh, with uh, four main unions. And again, a word that uh, will say a few words about uh, the resignation of Andrew Shear before the hour is up. Andrew, you're on the line in Kitchener. What do you know about online e-learning? Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, I think in my personal experience during high school, uh, I'm a previous student, previous graduate about three years ago. Um, I took an online learning course, Civics and Careers. I'm a student that actually has disability, um, primarily just ADHD, and I did find it difficult, along with what a lot of other callers have said in regards to um, my experience to just being able to stay focused and also to manage the like online learning portal as well. I did find it difficult. Um, and also, I just think in my own anecdotal experience that like um, when you're imposing policy specifically, um, it should be forward thinking and more and more students are having issues with attention. So looking forward, you know, I think the effects of e-learning, they really... Um, they're really broad, depending on like what kind of student and who's motivated and who's not. Andrew, tell us more about you, because that's your, your most expert experiences yourself. Why did you choose to do those courses online? Um, at the time, it was something that I needed to do just to kind of get ahead and kind of give me some breathing space as well. Um, I think there are other benefits as well in terms of like the environment in which you're able to conduct e-learning. Like, obviously you need to be in the learning portal at a certain time, but the location where you are doesn't always really matter. So you can be in a more quiet environment that better suits your needs. Okay, so, so for I think you, that's an advantage. What's interesting, though, because if you said ADHD is, sort of was, is your struggle, uh, quieter maybe, or your location of your choosing was good, but then it was hard to stay focused. Is it because of the temptation? Like there's so much other stuff online that you might have preferred to be doing? Yeah, yeah, there's there's a ton of things to do. And also just, you know, like acquired an environment is good to focus, but at the same time, <laughs> there's no one in that environment, I guess, at the same time, holding you accountable to doing the work. Right. Okay. Um, Professor Shira Hagerman, what are you hearing in this story? So I'm hearing a couple of things. I'm, I'm hearing that Andrew recognizes the role that others play right, in in helping him to stay focused. So that's one thing. But he really did mention um, the portal. And I think this is an issue that we also have to look at very carefully because the portal, the environment in which these courses are delivered is effectively a teacher, right? Um, The design choices that we have in an online learning environment have been predetermined by the designers of the technology. So I think that there are some pretty important questions that we need to be asking here. If we're basically saying to a company like D2L, okay, yeah, you get to design our classrooms for our kids. You get to decide what it is that we can and can't do inside of that environment. Then there's some pretty significant questions, I think, that we need to be asking about who's actually doing the teaching, right? Right. And I should yeah. remind our, our audience of our guest, uh, Professor Michelle Shira Hagerman. She's a professor of educational technology in the Faculty of Education at the University of Ottawa. You've developed online courses, primarily, you told us at the beginning of the program, for teacher students, so people who will become. Yeah, instructors. exactly. Yeah, and for graduate students as well. Okay. Uh, Christy, where are you calling us from? I'm calling from St. Joe's Island in Northern Ontario. Oh, perfect. Is it snowy? 
Uh, it is snowing yeah, quite heavily. <laughs> okay, what has been your experience, you or your family, with online uh, courses? I have a daughter who is currently taking the Civics and Careers. Uh, she had a spare in her timetable and was looking to reach ahead to do that. She's a kid who's really involved in a lot of activities and has always managed her time very well. And I thought, you know what, if any kid is going to be successful, it's, it's going to be her. And it has been such a terrible experience. Um, as I say, she's she participates in a lot of things, and there's been no um, communication with the, the teacher behind. She's trying to say, you know, this is what's going on, and trying to get some conversation back and forth, and nothing. And as a parent, I have not heard from a teacher once. Um, and as a teacher, I, you know, I am regularly in contact with, the, the parents of my students, and she's struggling in this class, and I there's no way of getting in touch with the teacher to to say what's the problem. Uh, and wait, now been, that seems odd, doesn't it? Like, the, why why is there no way? Um, I apparently he's supposed to be on online between this hour and this hour, and she's reached out to him and said, you know, I'm having a problem with the culminating assignment and. No response. She's gone to her guidance counselor. She's gone, and there's been nothing. Hmm. And and also another point, Rita, is that as an elementary school teacher, you know we're really there's a lot of focus on differentiated instruction for kids, and you know not all kids learn the same way, and we have to be really cognizant of of how different students learn. So to require that four, and I hear now two courses be required, it, it, it really seems counterproductive to, to the way kids learn and the way they've, they've been learning in elementary school. On the other hand, one might argue this is the way of the world, and getting familiar with doing these things online, maybe one course would make some sense. I don't know. Would you buy that argument? Uh, one for sure. And, you know, you can uh, recognize that, you know, I do well or this is not something that I should be doing again. But uh, when you're looking at kids going on to, you know, apply for scholarships, apply to schools, uh, you know, and that these are required courses that they're that are, you know, compulsory for their degree and to have to be forced to take a course in uh, in a style, in a fashion, in a mode that you are not proficient in really seems um, not fair. Christy, I, I realize, and I'm, I want to go to Professor Shira Hagerman, I, I feel like I said it not with even my own authenticity, because, you know, is it the method that one learns, or is it the subject matter, I guess? So, I mean, if a, if a presence were to mandate, you must learn online because this is just the way of the world, really is that at the heart of it, or is it the, the subject that is the most important to be learning? Oh, um, so, oh, that's a good. It's a really good question. I mean, I think that there are some subjects that are maybe easier to engage with through an online, you know, modality or in that environment. Um, but you know, I, there is some really good data to suggest that, for example, students who take online courses in mathematics perform less well than they do in bricks and mortar classrooms. Hmm. Um, and this is verifiable research. Absolutely verifiable research. Absolutely. Um, I, I did want to bring up sort of um, sort of this idea, though, of uh, the, the one mandatory course, or you know, obviously in this case it's two. two. Yeah. But in other jurisdictions, say for example in the U.S. and Michigan, in a state where I used to live, um, they implemented this mandatory requirement. And 
just to, to the points that some of your callers have been making, in Michigan, they've actually decided that, okay, completing one online course is one of the options that could meet that requirement. But there are also other ways that they've actually worked to ensure that kids can get the experiences with digital environments, digital technologies, maybe developing some digital literacy skills. Um, so a couple of other ways would be to complete an online learning experience like about 20 hours, but that's embedded in a course. Uh-huh. And then another way that they're doing it in Michigan, and most school districts are actually doing this, is that teachers are designing online components inside of each of the required courses in the Michigan Merit Curriculum. So right, so you're in your bricks and mortar classroom with your peers, with your teachers, and the teacher in the classroom is designing online learning components. For digital literacy. For digital literacy, but also to, to really engage with content matter sort of in a digital context, right? So working with digital text to be able to solve complex problems in the discipline, right? I'm glad you raised that because we, yeah. we, 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 there's been this uh, persistent reference to Alabama mm-hmm. on the part of the, the teachers' unions. I have to confess, I haven't found the primary reference to, of where the education minister invoked this. I didn't have time to go through Hansard this morning, but mm-hmm. I mean, what are your reflections on that? So my understanding with that reference was that um, Alabama does have a um, an exemption for students who have an IEP, which is an individual individualized education plan. So I I did see that there was a reference to that as one sort of way that the policy proposed in Ontario would provide for exceptions for kids clearly who aren't going to be successful in an online learning environment. Okay, we're going to take a few more calls on e-learning and as promised, we will turn to this other major development national story, uh, Andrew Scheer resigning as the federal conservative leader. Summer, you're on the line in London, Ontario. What has been your experience with e-learning? I mean, are these online courses a big deal? So I actually have the experience of working with adult learners. As I've listened to this discussion, um, we naturally go to kids and assume that it is younger learners. Um, But I've done a lot of work with um, adult students um, who are looking to upgrade their education, get their high school diploma. And they have found that e-learning is a way for them to fast-track their education. Um, In some cases, they just need a piece of paper. Um, to say that they have completed their high school education. And I've seen adult students bang out e-learning courses in three to six weeks, and then they move on to the next course. Wow. And so it values their lived experience um, and the knowledge that they already have, and they're able to um, get ahead a lot quicker than having to go to some programs where, like, attendance is expected every day. And if you're an adult who's balancing childcare um, or if you're an Indigenous student who's balancing looking after grandchildren and children or part-time work, then having that flexibility um, and the ability to complete coursework without having all these contingencies in place, because there are adult learning courses where, like, if you don't show up, you get kicked out of the course. Mm-hmm. So having this flexibility of, like, a year complete a course or as little as if you least complete a course allows them to get those credentials and to move on with their lives. Now, and are you talking then about adults who are taking high school courses? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's a good scenario. I'm glad you got through summer. It's good. It's a, such a scope of experience. Tanya, you're on the line in Mississauga. Tell us about, um, I don't know, are you an instructor yourself or have you had a, your own experience um, with these online courses? 
Well, I've had actually both. I work at a before lunch and after school program, and so I have grade fives and sixes. Um, but I also have volunteers, and I've been in this doing this for 16 years now. So I've got a lot of my volunteers are coming back as high school students doing their volunteer hours. And with that, um, I'm finding that some of them, were, we were just having this conversation yesterday. We don't have on internet. And how is it that you're supposed to do an online course if you don't have internet? Um, I'm also doing um, my ECE. Yeah, you, you hear um, that? Sorry, because you're calling us from Mississauga. So this is still, yes, this is a barrier. Yes, ma'am. Oh, it's a huge barrier. And, like, how are you supposed to? And th- some of my students, I'm looking at them and the, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm dyslexic. I have a problem with doing my online courses when I'm doing my ECE. I'm looking at these children going, how would I couldn't do it when I was in high school. How were they going to be able to handle it? And it's just, it, it boggles my mind that this is, a, this is a thing. And with inclusion and with universal design, how is it? that all of these children that are just not ready for this going to be able to manage this. Well, Tanya, you're raising a good question. I'm going to give the final word on this to our studio guest. Go right ahead. Yeah, I absolutely agree with the questions raised around um, inclusion and accessibility. I think that we need to really think deeply about the assumptions we're making, about who has access, when and where. And um, I couldn't agree more with your caller and her concerns. Listen, I really appreciate you coming in. Thank you so much for having me. Our guest, uh, Professor Michelle Shira Hagerman. She is a professor of educational technology in the Faculty of Education at the University city of Ottawa. She has developed online courses and we decided to focus in on this because uh, the idea of mandatory high school courses online is uh, its one of the key flashpoints in this ongoing labor dispute with four of the main education unions. Love CBC Podcasts? Help us make them better. Take our CBC Podcast listener survey now at cbc.ca slash podcasts. The quick survey will help us improve your favorite CBC podcasts, cbc.ca slash podcasts.